If I didn't know better, I would think we're at a football game <laughs> celebrating amazing grace. I like it. Let's see how the good hands you have. Uh, all right. All right. Here we go. Let's get some here. Come on, guys. Get the box there, John. Maybe I ought to give the choir three or four feet. Whoa! Bad arm. Bad arm. Bad arm. Celebration. Celebration is what church is all about. And we're going to really celebrate this Super Bowl weekend beginning at five o'clock this afternoon. We'll go to about quarter to six. You say you'll miss part of the Super Bowl. No, we're going to tape it. And you walk right across the street there to the Fellowship Hall. We've got James Coney Island served for everybody on big screens beginning the first of the Super Bowl. We're going to have testimonies at halftime. Cecil Short, you may know the name. He is a dean of our middle school. He played wide receiver for three NFL teams here, and he's going to tell us a little bit the Super Bowl about where Christ comes in. So if you want to have a real celebration Super Bowl, how about being here at five to six and afterwards, we have a time for a lot more footballs. We have four or five boxes like this of footballs we'll give to all the kids and we'll celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you know, every Sunday we have in this place, what, a Super Bowl, right? Absolutely we do. Won't you look at something up here with me? There is a vehicle who is going in the wrong direction and decides to turn around. <laughs> Do you see any problems with it? Hold it right there. Oh, watch out, this is real life. Decides to turn around. Somebody catch me, please. Can we stop right there for a minute? Now, does anybody here awaken to the fact that you might, I might be going in the wrong direction right now? And we decide to turn around? That's what happens when we wake up one day and ask the question, when we get where we're going, where will we be? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is the direction of your life? You say, you know, I'd better turn around. The Bible calls that repentance. You're going in the wrong direction, you turn around. Convicted of garbage and sin, you turn around and you go in the other direction, and going in that other direction we've talked about is sanctification. 
It means that then we're growing in the right direction with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's see if this guy makes it. Oh, you see, he's going the wrong direction. He has to turn around. Surely God is helping him. He's very tedious. He's very precise. Whoop. He's turning around. Oh, sometimes it's painful to turn around. We think it's risky to turn around, but we want to go in the right direction. Maybe. Do you think? Mm, this better be. Oh. oh wait. Now, that's a picture of the Christian life, folks. Do you see it? I'm going in the wrong direction. I realize when I get where I'm going, I'm not going to be the place I want to be. So I am convicted of that. I turn around, and it's not just all at once I'm brand new. I turn around, and I begin to go in the right direction, and that's growing up in our faith and walk with Jesus Christ. And then, zip, we go all the way in the right direction. We've been talking about that. That's what we've been looking at as we studied Romans chapter number eight. And we realize in the process, if you've read Romans eight, what God is doing for us in the inspired word, he is love bombing us, B-O-M-B. Does anybody here know that phrase to be love bombed? Anybody know that phrase? A few on the internet, right? It's the thing. By the way, guys, Valentine's is Monday. You'll have to get over the Super Bowl. Valentine's is Monday, and that's when we're supposed to love bomb those that we love. And what's happened, God in Jesus Christ has been love bombing all the world there in Romans 8. We've looked at all of it from the latter part of 7 all the way through to this point in 8. He is saying, I love you. I forgive you. I want you in my family. You're going to have to repent, turn around, and once we turn, we begin to walk with Christ and go with Christ. We have a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love bomb. A lot of people don't like to be love bombed. On the internet, you have people that someone's attracted to someone else of the opposite sex and they're just love bombing and they resent it. Others, they like it. The praise, the adoration, the compliments, the buildup. And I can tell you, most of us, when we think about it, we study Romans 8, we see that God is love bombing all of us to bring us, to turn us around, to get us in the right direction. And we ran into one little common phrase. Everybody's forgotten what it is. It is. Christ became what we are so we can become what he is. Remember that? 
Christ became what we are, that covers three or four major doctrines. The incarnation, he became what we are. Justification, he died for us, he became where we are. He took our sins upon himself. Propitiation, the weight he shed his blood on the cross so our sins are totally obliterated. So we can become what he is, and that's when we turn around and we begin to walk and grow in the power of God in Jesus Christ. And we find that really in one verse, summarize it all. That's a secular phrasing of it, but look at it in one verse. 2 Corinthians chapter number eight, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, he became what we are. Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus, God, Jesus in his riches was rich. He came all the way here and became poor, died on the cross for us, took all of our garbage upon himself, so we in our life now and forever might become rich. That's what we've been studying. And in the process, we're going to look at verse, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 12 through 17, and three things we're going to bump right into that fits appropriately with Super Bowl Sunday. What are those things? First of all, hope you have your Bibles open, didn't bring your Bibles with you, look in the pew in front and get a Bible. You gotta have a Bible to follow. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 12. It says, therefore, in light of all that has gone before, now, Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, because we are in Christ. Remember, that's the central teaching all the way through the letters of Paul. We are in Christ, therefore, brethren, we're Christians, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Brethren, we are debtors. In other words, now we have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, and guess what? We are on a new team. You're on a new team, I'm on a new team. We've been bought out of the flesh, out of the world. We've been bought and Christ, and we have a brand new team. Wouldn't it be the silliest thing in the world if, say, Andrew Whitworth, anybody can tell me who that is? Lift your hand, Andrew Whitworth. One, he's the LSU Tiger too. Andrew Whitworth, nobody knows that name. Huh. Andrew Whitworth is the left tackle, will start for the LA Rams today. He's the oldest tackle ever to be playing, not on the Super Bowl, but in the league, he's 40 years old. He's been all pro, 
He has been first team, second team. He's recognized as one of the finest left tackles ever to play the game. And the left tackle is the most important person, perhaps next to the center, on the offensive line. Why? Ladies, you need to learn this, some of you men. It's on the blind side of a right-handed quarterback. Hut, hut, he takes the steps, he goes over here. Generally, he looks this way. Because the quarterback goes this way, he has to throw across his body, and that's so difficult. So that left tackle defending him, keeping somebody coming and killing him, he has to protect his blind side because to get hit from your blind side, survival is questionable, right? Whitworth has been a blind tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals for 11 years. And they trade him to the Rams. He's been there in seven years, 40 years old. And when they run out on the field, what if he now, who has been bought and traded to a totally different team, the LA Rams, he looks across the field, he sees his old teammates of 11 years. He said, you know, I think today I want to go play for them. <laughs> Is that the wildest, craziest, most unbelievable thing? But that, that's what we do. We, we have, we're on a new team. We've received Jesus Christ. We're going in a new direction, and we're walking in newness and freshness of life with clean transparency. And all of a sudden, we say, you know, I want to go back to that team, that fleshly team. This spiritual team somehow isn't working for me. And we go back to the old team. Is that crazy? And we talked about that earlier. Remember we talked about the mindset? You have your mind set on the world, the flesh, pride, achievement, recognition. And now we have a new mindset. You'd have to be out of your mind, have a concussion to go back on the other team. Most of you know the name of Johnny Baker. He's on the committee that brought me here to this church 100 years ago. And Johnny Baker played for then the Houston Oilers. You may not remember that. In fact, we have another person here today, Mac Height. You know he sells cars, but also Mac Height scored for the Oilers the first touchdown in, guess what? The Astrodome for the Oilers. He's right here today. Johnny Baker was playing for the Oilers, and they were playing against Denver. They're at Denver, and there was a pass. It's third down, a pass over the middle, and a tight end caught it. Johnny hit him head-to-head -head back then. The pass was dropped, and Johnny was concussed, and so it was third down. He was going off the field because the punting team was coming on, and Johnny ran off the field with the Denver Broncos, not with the team in which he was playing for, and got a 15-yard penalty. <laughs> Therefore, now Denver had a first down, and he goes back out there and plays a couple of days, and a guy named Bobby Maples, they sent him in for Johnny because they could tell he was victim of a concussion. Maples, I think, played for Baylor, if I'm not mistaken. And so Johnny now runs off the field, not back to his team. He runs in the end zone and gets another penalty flag. 
What am I saying? You'd have to be out of your mind to change teams. But we, so many who are in Christ, we do that. Here we have a liberated life, a clean life, a, a super life, and we somehow change teams. You have to be out of your head. My mind was set here, and somehow it goes back where it used to be set before I repented and decided to live and go in the right direction. And then we see we have a new team, but look what else is a part of this team here in our scripture. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. You put to death, you crucify, the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And we in the United States of America, we are on a team. We are citizens of this nation. But at the same time, we have those in the executive office, and there we have a president who put his hand on the Bible, and he promised to behold the Constitution and to uphold the laws of this land. And now we see time and time again, an abdication of that which we had basically elected him to do. For example, we are concerned about the perhaps in, impending battle we're going to have in a country way in the backside of nowhere. We're spending millions and billions of dollars when their own president of the Ukraine said, America, cool your heels, don't come, and we went anyway word about that border. Now we have the northern border here between us and Canada, and we have those wonderful truckers who said, enough is enough is enough, and they are blocking one bridge when we've got many bridges going to Canada, and we're all concerned about that. At the same time, we have laws of this land concerning the border of our land, and in our southern border, it is absolutely a disaster, perhaps unprecedented in history. The president, hand on the Bible, uplifted hand before the watching world, I will uphold and support the laws. That is a primary purpose of an executive who's elected to that high office. And when that doesn't happen, all kind of things take place. Did you know that the prisons of Central and South America are basically being emptied as they're flowing across our border? Unprecedented, I think, perhaps in the history of mankind. And here we are. Just a lot of statistics may help quickly. One that came across my preview recently, did you know that increase in death among those from 18 to 62 has increased 40% this past year? Should be the prime of your life. If a 10% increase, you know something is desperately wrong, a 40% increase in death of those who are 18 to 62? Why is that? It's because 
the flesh is winning out, folks, among this whole generation. It's because so many of us have not taught our children, loved our children. Their children have not had any semblance of a home that speaks of Christ or Christianity. America has turned away from God and Christ, and therefore we're seeing the results of those who change teams and begin to go back in the flesh. And the results always is catastrophic to any individual, and it's always catastrophic to a nation. So what do we do? As Christians individually, we are to kill the flesh. Did you read it? The deeds of the flesh, the body will live, but we're to take the Holy Spirit and it is to kill the deeds of the flesh. When did that happen? It has to happen every day for you and for me. And remember whose team we're on. It happened on Calvary, it happened on the cross. Jesus Christ on the cross, he took our sin. He was executed on your behalf and my behalf because our sins were executed there. So the Bible says we are to take up our cross. What does that mean? Every day, you and I, and die. What does that mean? It means we're to recognize that we are indeed on the cross and we're on the cross. What, what does it mean to be on a cross? It means, first of all, you're facing in only one direction. Secondly, it means you can't climb down and go back. Third thing it means, you and I have no future plans that are our own. We sold out to him. Therefore, there needs to be an execution of the flesh if we are to be on the team where the spirit operated. So if you're in Christ, if I'm in Christ, we have a, we're on a whole new team. We're on a new team. Not only are we on a new team, we have a new coach. Look at our coach. It's right here in the scripture. It says, verse number 13, for as many as are led, that's what a coach does, he leads, by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, for they did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we came out of slavery, Myself, running my own life, we were bound there to it, our habits and our egos and our pride, and now all of a sudden we are led by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is our new coach. If those who fly an airplane, and many of you know about that, uh, the big planes now, they can take off and fly and land on autopilot. They generally do not do that unless it's rough weather and then they know that autopilot will see turbulence and see all the problems that are there. When we come to God in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in your life and my life and we're on autopilot. Now the pilot is still there. He can still override the autopilot and most of flight, he does some of that. It's not usually from takeoff to flight to landing. Everything's an autopilot. But that's a wonderful thing to know that the Holy Spirit in your life and my life will guide us and bring us safely now and safely forever. So we have a new coach. It's the Holy Spirit. We can put your life in neutral. He takes over. He runs. He gives us insight. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding the way you want to go and all your ways and knowledge him. Zip. He 
the Holy Spirit will direct your life and that Holy Spirit will coach you all the way now and all the way into eternity. Because you receive Christ or a new team, have a new coach. And also we have a new position on the team. And I, I love this, the position. What position do we play? The best thing I could say, you and I are quarterbacks for our own team. How about that? It says, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. What is this saying? It's saying that we have a position and we are quarterback of your life and in my life, and the Holy Spirit, the coach, has a game plan for us, and we get in on that game plan as we daily, daily see what, what the requirements are, as we daily, daily die to self and are crucified with him. And all of a sudden, we realize an amazing thing. We are children of God. Children of God. Think about that. Well, I've heard that before, but just let it sort of, I let it sort of seep into me. You're, you're a child of God? Uh, that, that's an intimate thing. God the creator seems way back there. E even God and Jesus Christ, our redeemer, seems, you know, that's thousands, 2,000 years ago. But the idea that right now that you and I are a child of God, and we can say to God, Abba, which is their Arabic word, Father, used there in the Greek, it is saying that all people, Arabs, Greeks, Jews, whatever your classification, we're all in the family of God because we're in Christ. And if we're in the family of God, we can say and talk to God as our dad. There's no way for you and I to understand how radical that was, particularly to the Jewish world as well as all the rest of the world to refer to he who was omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and holy other as Abba. A Jew, when reading the scripture, would not even pronounce the name of God. We, we look at it, we try to pronounce it as Yahweh, but that's not, we do not really know how it could be pronounced. They would not say Jehovah or Yahweh. They might say Adonai as a substitute because the name of God was so reverent, so holy. And therefore they would never think about any time being so godless and sacrilegious as to say, Dad, Abba, that's what Jesus did. Jesus always referred to the Father as Abba, except on the cross, the cry of dereliction. Only one time he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every other time he talked of him as dad, as Abba, an intimate thing. And when the apostles first heard that, whew, they were amazed. The audience would hear that. They were amazed. Who is this guy who can talk about dad, Abba, Abba, intimacy there? 
And therefore, because now all of a sudden we have a new assignment in our life, we have new provisions to live out our life in Jesus Christ. I, I, all of a sudden, I realize that you and I are children of God because we're in Christ. Then he goes on to say we are heirs. Oh, heirs? An heir is someone who hasn't yet possessed something. We are an heir to a fortune or an heir to an object. But in this usage, it means that we have partially possess that which we will have, and one day we'll possess all of it when we graduate from this life. We are heirs. And then one little phrase I want to pick up on, it says, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit witnesses to us, and my spirit and your spirit witnesses also that we are children of God. There's no doubt about it. There's no question about it. There is a mutual witness. And for something to be affirmed in a court of law in that day, there had to be at least two witnesses. For an adoption to take place, it was a big deal in the Greco-Roman world. It was a whole litany of procedure. It took seven witnesses and one father had to give the child to be adopted to the other father and pay what it would be offered. And the other father would give it back and they would do it again and they would do it again. Only the third time did it become real and valid and official of the state in which in every way that adopted heir was an heir just like a son or a daughter of the family would be. Every one of the privileges was there. So we are an heir. And then it says, did you hear it? We are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Can, can you get a hold of that? In other words, we have such a high lofted position. It sounds like out of this world, it's absurd. It's, it's impossible to believe that you and I who are in Christ will one day be a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ with our Abba, Father, who is in heaven. So this gives us the equipment now because our coach is the Holy Spirit to live this life victoriously. What a new team. Have a new coach, the Holy Spirit. We're in Christ. We have a new position. And God has given us the Holy Spirit and the ability to play that position so when we decide to turn around, and most of us have, we'll turn all the way around and begin to walk in the fullness of life with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the end result, we'll have some suffering in this world, but the end result, we'll have glory in the world to come. And a touch of it even right now, right here, because guess what? I'm a child of God. Guess what? In Christ, you're a child of God. How beautiful that is. Texas Children's Hospital, a little girl went in and was being checked out and the doctor said, you know, we're gonna send you in and we're gonna get what we call an ultrasound, a, a cardiac ultrasound, it won't hurt, but they're going to see what's in your heart. This little girl had come to Christ a month or so before. 
When the doctor told her that they're going to see what's in your heart, she said, they're going to see Jesus. <laughs> I won't tell your name, but they're going to see Jesus. How do you know? How do I know that I'm on a new team? How do I know that the Holy Spirit is really coaching my life and your life? How do we know that? How do we know that we're children of God? We have all these provisions given to us in that lofty, lofty, exalted title, lofty family. How do we know that? There's a scripture in Matthew, sixth chapter, it says, by your, my, my grace, you will know as whether or not you're in my family because you'll lay not up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt. Isn't that true? <laughs> treasures on this earth, moth and rust corrupt. Thieves break through and steal. He said, but we're to lay up treasure in heaven where nothing can touch it. And then the scripture says, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. No, no, no. It says something different. It says where your treasure is, my treasure and your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So to really the only thing tangibly or one of the few things tangibly we can measure about whether or not we're in the family of God and where our heart is, is where our treasure is. Because the treasure indicates the real position of our heart. 